Okay, folks, and welcome to the Dad Bod Bible's first podcast, Real Men Talk, where we basically talk to what I classify as real men about real men subjects, because simply men today have been put in a position in the society where we can't talk like real men. And because we can't talk like real men, there's an internal battle going on within us. We want to talk the way we want to talk, but we're scared to do so. Well, not here. Here, we're just going to get back to the real 1980s style of men without the sexism. So Andy, how, do you, how about you introduce yourself to everyone else? Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm Andy Chapman from Lamavati. Um, just coming up on 40 years old now, uh, next month. And I run a BJJ MMA club in the town. I was a partner with CrossFit Lamavati for five years, but uh, we were getting really busy just before the whole lockdown thing started and I, I needed to make a decision. So I jumped full time into the, into the BJJ club. Uh, there's a lot of things about, I love my job, the old CrossFit job, but I was up early in the morning, the alarm was going off at 4.30 in the morning and stuff, and coming up to 40 years old, I was, I was finished that, didn't want to do it anymore, so I uh, just made a call, because it was sort of going between the two jobs, and uh, like the whole CrossFit thing probably used to be my passion, uh, but it's, it's it's not that way anymore, like, uh, I just love uh, grappling, I love combat, uh, and all my all my thoughts in, in recent years has been geared towards that. So like uh, the uh, the members in the CrossFit gym were, you know, they pay a lot of money for membership and they're getting at the service of the coaches and fully invested in that. So yeah. it was time to make Well, here, look at the photographs of the place. Your new place looks awesome. I, well, half of it looks awesome. The other half of it looks like... But like, that's, what, that's the great thing about Instagram, isn't it? You can, uh, you can show the good stuff you can manipulate things to look exactly the way you want it, make people jealous and make them feel like they're not worthy. Well, the thing, the thing is like always in the back of my mind, it's, it's like, you know, when, when are we going to get a chance to open up? When are we going to be able to, to be offering a service again? So like I have that wee bit of time uh, now to get the rest of the gym uh, like up to shape and ready to go because there's no way we're going to be open on the 5th of March whenever they're saying these lockdowns are ending. It's not going to happen. What do you think? You're not, you're not going to be open or we're not going to be open? I think for for uh, contact training, it'll probably be a wee bit later than that. I hope I'm wrong. Sounds very pessimistic, but I just think I just think the fifth of March will come and go, and it just seems to be the the way it's been for the last year. Dates have come and gone, and things haven't changed, or else it got worse. And Andy, what do you think of uh, the whole? We we'll have to talk about COVID because literally that's the only thing in everyone's mind because it's affecting everyone. You were a journalist for how many years? Uh, 12 years, worked in New Zealand uh, for New Zealand Herald for three years. Then I was a journalist here for nine years as well. And what do you, so what do you think from your background and from your perspective, what do you think is the real story about how, what's happening here? Don't be afraid to speak your mind here because this is the problem with society. We're too scared and this cancel culture bullshit is just rampant. So I don't give a shit. I'm letting people speak their own mind. And if we disagree, we'll argue. But if we agree, we'll discuss it. It doesn't matter. It's about opinions, and it's about getting the, it's getting those opinions out. And... Um, okay, so like going back to going back to the start of last year uh, when we were seeing stuff from from China and then moving on over to Italy and stuff. I think that that I, I'll be man enough to say that I was a wee bit concerned at that stage as well, and I was worried about what was going to happen. Um, and I think that the that the government sort of acted on people's fears at that time, which was definitely uh, enhanced by the media perception of what was happening at the time. But the government made those decisions and that was fair enough. So we're talking now the end of March last year. What happened then, I think, is that they, they, they carried it on. And I think that uh, it was pretty obvious that things were going to start to get destroyed at the, at the far end of it. But they'd sort of dug in and they had to stick to their guns at that stage. Um, and I think that, I think that uh, the theory is that the only thing that's going to save this is, is the vaccination. And that's their sort of get out. Because things will ease off now coming into springtime i think uh because it doesn't matter what anybody says about science around the virus it definitely seems that at the very least it coincides with the winter flu season i think that we can say that it's I definitely think, seasonal i think we can say considering what is it 95 percent of flu cases have died down this year like there's just some some anomalies in this stories that have just happened why have the government changed their their opinion 64 times like 64 times their their whole the whole idea behind what you do has changed. It's just it just doesn't make sense to me. The other thing as well is like how how you said that the the like the regulations have changed sixty four times. How are people even supposed to know what the regulations are if they're changing every two weeks? 
I don't know. Like, do you do you does does a person does a person have the opportunity to say I don't watch the news, so I don't even know what's going on. I don't worry. I don't worry. I don't watch news don't, ever simply because of this crap. But the the one thing that gets to me, the one thing that I don't understand, and I seen this tweet earlier on, and I actually screenshot it because I knew it was going to come up, and it was a brilliant tweet. And the girl said, how can a plumber, electrician, decorator, car cleaner, carpet fitter, kitchen washer, washer insulation man, sky engineer, plaster, tiler, etc., allowed in my house, but my mother, father, brother, sister aren't? You know, that, that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But I mean, like at the end of the day, Paul, everybody's got their personal choice as well and their personal decisions. I haven't stopped seeing my family. I, I go up to my parents' house every Friday night. My kids are still getting hugged by their, their grandparents. At, at, at the end of the day, and I, I'm, I'm quite happy to say that. And do you know the other thing about it as well, Paul? You see if people actually post it up on their social media, what they were actually doing, people would realise that, that this, it's uh, people are living their lives as normally a lot more than, than what people think they are. And I know that for a fact, because I talk to people away from social media, and I know that people are living their lives as normal. Of course. So it's just everybody's playing this game and keeping it going. But again, it comes back to the social media influence, you know, the cancel culture. People are scared to actually admit to what they're doing because they're worried about the public perception and their ridicule they receive. And a lot of people aren't of that state of mind where they can handle it. I'm pretty lucky in the sense that I have been that sort of left field, far left field, far right field opinion all my life. You know, I just speak my mind and I don't care what anyone thinks. <clears throat> and I've taken a lot of abuse for it. But with that abuse comes uh, resilience, like an armor. You just it just bounces off you eventually, and you don't give a shit because these people that may feel the need to scream and shout and do all this virtue signaling are usually the ones that are terrified and insecure themselves. Do you know the other thing, Paul? And I was actually chatting to me about it this morning at training. The, a big problem of what's happening now is a lot of people know that things don't add up. Okay, a lot of people know that. I would say more than fifty percent, more than half the people know that that things just don't add up with this. But I would say of that 50% that no, there's maybe 25-30% that are so bone idle lazy at the minute because they're sitting at home scratching their balls watching Netflix and they're getting money put into their bank account every month, whether it's through government grants, whether they're getting furloughed or whatever. And a lot of people who maybe had shit lives before this even started are on the pig's back now. And if oh, I was one of I was one of those people, I don't think that I would want things to go back to normal again. Not yet. You've got, to, you've got to remember, though, a lot of people, the, the society we live in, not just this last year, but you think about the last two, three decades, we've been systematically conditioned to, to obey more and to, you know, and we live in lives that we don't like and we're, we're in jobs we hate. And all of a sudden you're given the chance to not be in that job. You're going to obey the rules as much as possible or be seen to obey the rules as much as possible. You're probably not obeying them, but you're going to support them publicly because... You don't want to go back to work and you're, you've you've now adjusted to 80% or 65% or whatever it is of your normal wage. Your life has adapted. And for a lot of people, for all intents and purposes, they're getting the mini retirement. And because they're getting the mini retirement, exactly. UBI is going to come in. You get instant. It's too easy to be lazy, Paul. It's really easy to be lazy. And like whenever you're chatting about 80% or 60%, whatever, like people aren't spending the money anymore in it either because they're not eating out on restaurants. They're like they're not spending money on fuel. People are a lot richer now than, than they were th this time last year. Uh, but it's a false impression of wealth too. Like if you think about the way that the government's handing things out this year, they've borrowed almost half a trillion pounds in the last year. Do people not realise that we're just about to hit a big fucking brick wall at the minute? My best mate is an economist in the in the assembly, and I was just talking to him, and I just said to him, I said, uh, how bad is it? And he goes, bad, bad. And I was like, bad. He's like, we are fucked. And he just doesn't, he just, he couldn't emphasize how bad it's going to be soon. And he is, he's the guy dealing with all this. So he knows what's coming and he's told me it's going to get, and I think that's when people are going to realize, fuck, we've created this environment ourselves by just willingly capitulating to everything they've said without argument or the fear again, this, this fear narrative that's been pushed over and over again. Yeah, it's the thing, the thing, the other thing that 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 uh, whoever's peddling uh, any resistance towards the narrative is really good at having people cancelled as well, because like you've got people like Dolores Cahill, who was one of the most celebrated virologists in Europe or microbiologists in Europe. Well, like if you look at her CV, like she's she's one of the most educated people uh, in the whole of Europe. They talk about like this uh, sort of thing. Uh, even people like Tony Robbins was coming out talking about it a few weeks ago. It's just got cancelled by everywhere. Tony Robbins was looked almost as like a godlike figure last year. 
Well, because he decided to speak out against the narrative, people are saying now that he's been irresponsible and stuff. So it's the it's the hold that the media have got over uh, painting people in a bad life for speaking out against the narrative at all. And like what Tony Robbins said was completely right. Word. All, what he said, I, but if you look at if you look at all cause mortality across the world, it's almost identical to what it's been for the last five years. It doesn't show up that there's a massive pandemic. Now, people are dying, like associated with COVID-19, but, and, and this is like, and this is using his words. I'm not like saying what I think, I'm just saying what, what he had said through his own research. Uh, like, despite the mortality rate being exactly the same, people that are dying with things like pneumonia, flu-associated deaths, even cancer is way down. And it's way down directly proportional to what the COVID deaths are up. Like, if you can't look at that rationally and critically and say, this deserves a conversation at least, then you're, you know, you're not thinking about it properly. That's the problem. See what you said that that sentence there deserves a conversation. We can't have a conversation because as soon as you have a conversation, you have all these scientific know-it-alls coming off with it. You don't understand the data. You can't read scientific papers. You just don't understand. We don't need to read scientific papers to see what we see with our own eyes. Do you know, I think I think a biggest one of the biggest problems is that people. I'm not insulting all the scientific people because it's not. Uh, it's just there seems to be a a first way that the media like to latch on to and, and highlight. So it seems like they are the public opinion. But these people, they look at the COVID problem. It's it's like looking on jigsaw, and every piece of jigsaw is a different aspect of the problem. They're just looking at one or two pieces and trying to get the whole picture. And because they're looking at one or two pieces and they're given the voice. That's what everyone seems to think it is. But no one's thinking about the abuse going home with children and wives and the domestic abuse happening, the starvation and the, the, and the poverty that's happening, the cancer deaths, the treatable deaths that aren't getting treated because COVID has suddenly taken priority over everything else. And then you've got the media pushing this narrative, telling everyone that COVID, 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 and no one's been given a voice to all the other issues that socially have happened for decades and need funding, need help, need a voice. And we're not getting that. And that's the problem. And I think that we need to we need to be allowed to speak about these things at the very least. Of course. Like uh, the, other, the other thing as well is and, like, maybe this is fair to balance, right? Like everybody's uh, everybody's truth through their own reality. So if someone has a family member who's been died, who's died there recently labeled with uh, COVID death, then I can under I, I can definitely empathize and understand with their views and stuff. But my my truth is my reality. And my reality is my two kids getting picked up in the house all day. And I can like my 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 son's five years old and I can see the frustration bubbling over in him. Like he wants to be at school. So like I surely I'm entitled to uh, my truth through my own reality because that's all truth is. Like science isn't truth. Science oh. is science. Science changes as well. Like science has changed since the beginning of the time. But truth is your own perception of your own reality. And my reality is telling me that what's happening now is it's not right. It's not how humans are supposed to live. I think if you're talking about science, and why, if science is meant to be the um, studying and consideration of all, of all theories, because science is a theory, and then coming to the best conclusion, why are 100,000 doctors, nurses, and scientists over 100,000 being ignored in the baritone agreement. Like, these people are just as qualified. Look, Mike Yendon, like, my God, the man has got more qualifications than any other scientist I know on this topic. But yet, because he doesn't follow the government narrative and he's speaking out against what the mainstream media want us to believe, it's now, he's he's been cancelled. And that's dangerous. Yeah. That's a dangerous, dangerous thing to happen because that is a proper opinion from a scientific background that is not being allowed to be considered. Which is, that yeah. is not, that's dictatorship. This whole, uh, for me, anyway, the, like, again, I need to be really conscious because I know people as well who have lo uh, lost people and their family uh, in the last year that, like, very few, albeit, but people who have had their death labeled with COVID. So, like, I'm always, like, uh, always need to be conscious of that. But, like, in the same breath, th this pandemic, for me, hangs on a PCR test. The whole thing like either continues or falls on a PCR test. And if you're chatting about PCR, like Dr. Fauci, who seems to be the golden uh, scientist involved with the whole pandemic, has said before that anything over like a cycle threshold on the PCR test of 35 is completely meaningless. It can't be used to diagnose anything. Um, there's a freedom of information uh, request put forward by a friend of mine in Derry a couple of months ago. Yeah, he, he shared it on his uh, Facebook page. Keelan shared it uh, last month and got a reply 
from the, the, the Southern Trust, they say that the cycle threshold that they're using in the Southern Trust, and that's just one trust in Northern Ireland, I don't know what the rest of them are running at, is between 40, some are being run at 40, and some are being uh, run at uh, 45 for a cycle threshold. Right, so with that freedom of information, you could literally blow the lid on the whole pandemic, or at least here in Northern Ireland. I'm sure it's not very different ever anywhere else. I tag journalists underneath his freedom of information post on Facebook, tag journalists, tag politicians, because it's a newsworthy story, at least to be looked at. It needs to be looked at. Nobody touched it. Nobody touched it. It's almost like there's, there's a, an agenda behind it, is there? But that's a conspiracy I mean, theory. As I said, if you were saying at the start of the, at the start there of the podcast, I was a journalist for twelve years. I would have been loving getting my hands on something like that because it's a big story, but nobody's touching it. PC, PCR cycle thresholds over thirty-five is meaningless. One trust in Northern Ireland said that the threshold that they're running on two different tests is forty and forty-five. So the results from the PCR test within that trust are meaningless. That's according to Doctor. I think there's a lot of people don't even understand the difference between 35 cycles and 40 cycles. The the, the difference in like you know the particles the per particle is massive, and it, who's I can't remember the guy's name who invented it, but they said like anything over 40, I think it is, it's meaningless. You'll find whatever you're looking for over 40 or 45 cycles, you're going to find whatever it is. Not been proven in papayas, Coca-Cola, live on the Denmark TV, the journal or the politician found. Coca-Cola positive. And they're like, it just doesn't make sense. The other thing as well, the other thing about that, Paul, and I'm we'll just stick to PCR test when we're chatting about this. Like you get all this bullshit on Facebook, like, oh, where did you get your biology degree? YouTube, blah, blah, blah. This is this is mass. This has been able to count between zero and 45. <laughs> like, are are we not able to read and understand what things are said now? You don't have to be a virologist to understand what we've just been talking about. The cycle threshold of the test is meaningless about 35, but they're being run it between 40 and 45. That you don't, I don't need a degree in biology to, to understand that there's something wrong with that. And you know what else? A wee bit of comments will tell you that there's something wrong if the media aren't looking to report on it. Because why are they not looking to report on that? That's a big story, but they're not touching it. It doesn't make sense to me at all. None of this makes sense to me anymore. Just and what's frustrating and infuriating to me is how easily people are conditioned that, that it's like we have got the ability to stop this right now if everyone came together and stood up and went nah enough it would be over because yeah. the, because we put those people in power but we don't we're too fearful you've got people who are like i said we said furloughed happy to do their job happy to pay, take the money and do whatever asked you've got people who have got jobs who are being forced to get vaccinated by their bosses which i think is leaving themselves open for a massive lawsuit down the line eventually You've got yeah, you up. The thing about vaccinations, I don't really know what to think about that, to be honest, because like on one side you're hearing that that you know there could be uh, immunity passports and stuff like that, but then on the other side you're hearing that you know it would be a complete infringement on a human right through natural law to, to, to force somebody to have an injection. I don't I don't really understand any enough about the whole uh, immunity passports and stuff like that, but it just seems as if it, it sounds as if it shouldn't be allowed to happen i'm not sure maybe you know i was laughed at in, in may i was laughed at because i said we're gonna have vaccine passports in the, in the next year or so everyone told me oh shut up you're a conspiracy theorist now the same people call me conspiracy theorist are the ones cheering for this vaccine to happen this vaccine passport to happen even though we're noticing death upon death upon death abnormally high numbers of deaths from a vaccine and we're still i'm we're, we're, we're important you think more at 23 and some other country at 63 or something. It's it just doesn't make sense to me. And I think we're going down a dangerous, dangerous path. And it seems to me that when they have governments who are signing contracts with vaccine companies say you will not be sued for any side effects that happen, that's an alarm bell for me. Yeah, I think do you know what I think like I'm not I'm not saying that that you're wrong what you're saying, but I, I, as far as I know, that's the case with most vaccines that they have immunity. Anyway, I'm not sure I could be wrong. Yeah, but uh, the vaccine altogether, I'm just talking about anything you're, if you're putting something in the body, it's making people multi, multi millions, billions of pounds. And if anything goes wrong and it's being made law that, that you have to take it and there's no comeback. Yeah, well, the thing, the thing, the thing that annoys me about that, Paul, to be honest, is uh, like the British government and other governments as well, we're putting, like, I think the British, the UK government put 86 million into the Oxford research for a vaccine last year that's a business they're putting money into yeah. so like 
what I want to know is now that they're turning a profit on the vaccine that they invest, that the British government invested in with their money, with our tax money, do, do, they, do we get reimbursed that money? Or does that happen? I don't think it does. Now, the other thing as well is like the British government just recently announced that they're putting 60 million pounds in towards uh, campaign to advertise the vaccine and they stop misinformation on the vaccine. So what they're, do, what they're doing now is after giving them the 86 million pound to fund the research into the vaccine, they're now giving them money to, to market their product for them as well. This is a private business. That's, that's it's ridiculous. It's a private business. That, it's our tax money that's paying for that. And a lot of the, a lot of the politicians are actually personally in, are in, something in the something wrong there. Sorry, you broke up on me. One of the, one of the UK, uh, it's not Woody, the other one, I can't remember his name, has like something like 600,000 in shares with the Oxford company, AstraZeneca. So I don't know. See, see, I have said this from the start, Paul. Healthcare should not be private or should not be like a privately run. It should be run by the state. Like they should be running healthcare. And pharmace the pharmaceutical industry is part of healthcare. And whenever somebody can, whenever somebody can profit out of it, then health becomes secondary to profit. It's just, it's a human nature. Humans are greedy. It's just human nature. And so what are you doing on a personal level? What are you doing to cope through all this madness? Ah, well, listen, hey, for, for at the risk of being, uh, have the police knocking at my door as much normally as I can, Paul, to be honest. Uh, now, I'm not being completely irresponsible either, but uh, I need to make money. I'm not eligible for grants because my business was very new. So I'm making money and I'm doing that through privates. Um, and as I say, I see my family on a Friday and a Sunday. Um, that's something that my mother wants. My mother wants to see her grandchildren. Um, so I'm not going to stop her from doing that. Um, apart from that, frustrated for sure that I, can't, that I can't run the business and earn money and make a difference in people's lives because I value the service that I provide. And I think that there's a lot of positives from it. So it, annoy, it annoys me that I can't uh, provide that service. Um, but I do have hope as well. I think that we are. What I think's happened is I think that, that we're coming to the end because I think that the powers that be know that people are right on the edge uh, of just sacking the whole thing. I think it's already happened in Poland. I was actually chatting to a Polish friend and he was saying, they just started opening up over there, started opening restaurants, started opening their businesses back up. So all the regulations just regressed because they knew that they couldn't keep a lid on it anymore. So I think that I think that the British government and the Irish government know that, that the people here are like really fed up now at this stage as well. Also, um, the, the narrative's starting to run out because the vaccine's being uh, put into people's arms um, and people are going to start saying, well, if this vaccine works, we need to get back to normal. If the vaccine doesn't work, we need to get back to normal because we've just we've basically just given away a year of our lives. So we've stopped living for a year in the hope that we're going to find immortality and we all know that that's not going to come so i think it's getting to the stage where people are just thinking we need to take a chance and get back to some sort of normality it's strange 2020 is the year that everyone realized that they die <laughs> it seems to be like no one really realized it died until 2020 and the government paid the media just to bombard death on our doorstep daily it's yeah. why are we so scared of dying when we know death is going to happen to us all every single one of yeah. us and the reality is, I think it was actually, it was your post that I wrote, is like the average, the, the average age of death has risen in 2020. So COVID has actually yeah. extended people's lives in a way, in an ironic way, because it's what, 82? Yeah, through life, and the life expectancy stats, that they said that uh, COVID wasn't taken into account, but life expectancy went up. Um, life expectancy last year was lower than uh, the average age of death to COVID. So, like, there's different, there's different, like, I do sort of understand this because it's what I studied at university. Like, my degree was very quantitatively based. So, I do sort of understand this sort of stuff. So, like, I don't have a Facebook degree in virology, but I understand how stats work. Um, so, like, if all else was equal and the average age of COVID deaths was higher than life expectancy, you would expect that life expectancy would rise the following year. Um, and people are dying. Uh, the COVID on average, just under a year over what life expectancy is. And I mean, that, that any death sad, and I get that. And I know that people will watch this and, and think that I'm being irresponsible, but it's not, it's, it's not me being irresponsible. It's like weighing up everything and making a, an informed decision from there. If, if, I, if I, I thought that there was any, any more chance of death, uh, the COVID outside a chance of death anyway, because we're all going to die. Um, then I would start ticking. Of course, I would start looking after the people around me a wee bit better. But weighing things up, I think that 
living our life is a wee bit more important than locking everything down um, for a disease that kills us on average, um, exactly the same age or even slightly older than we would expect to die anyway. Just I think we, also, we also need to consider the social factors in this. And this is where, you know, this is where you've got to have the ball stay out, stand up and say these things. The people on the most part and the vast part who are dying are elderly and sick, obese, you know, underlying conditions. And the, the people, if, if you haven't looked after your body, this is a virus that is going to scare you, especially with the narrative being pushed. So, and we've got to a point in society where we're lazy. You know, everything is done for us. And there is, there's an obesity epidemic. I, I've done a couple of articles, I've wrote a few articles about this craziness and, you know, how the ironic Piers Morgan calling out Anthea Turner the other day for highlighting the irony between a, a, a morbidly obese person demanding we wear our masks when they continue to shove their food down their body. And the, I understand it isn't just as easy as that because there are traumas and obesity is a, a psychological illness for a lot of people. But we need to accept that if you're not looking after your body, then you're actually directly responsible for that. And if yeah. you're expecting everyone else to, to comply to these legislations and rules because to try to see if they improve your life, when you're not doing anything yourself to improve your life, it's hypocritical as hell. Why should I and my children and my business and my family all suffer this? Because someone who isn't prepared to look after their body and do what's required and ultimately, yeah. it comes down to the individual. Why? Why should I have to pay for that? You're completely right. I saw like I saw a post on Instagram a few days ago. I'm not sure who posted it, but and then it triggered a lot of people. Um, it got a lot of the council culture attracted to it. But it was basically saying, unless like if you're just hanging out and waiting for a vaccine, if you haven't looked at how much water you're drinking a day, your nutrition, how you might supplement, exercise, you're not looking at any of that stuff as well as just hanging out for the vaccine, then you're doing it wrong. And the, 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 the sad truth, and this is going to trigger people, I get that, I don't care. Um, the sad truth is that there's a lot of people here in that boat. They're telling you know everybody else. Do you know why it triggers them? It triggers them because deep down they know it's to be true. They know what you're saying is truthful, but it's more painful to look inside yourself and ask yourself, what can I do? What, because when you ask yourself that question, then you're you're opening up the questions of like, okay, well, what am I doing wrong in my life? And that means I have to change my life. And changing is hard and it's scary and it's intimidating and it's easier. It's much easier to order Domino's than it is to go try to find a recipe and cook a recipe and eat healthy foods. And you know you're addicted to these foods and you know the fear of stepping in the gym or doing exercise is going to be traumatic for you because you've never done it before. So it's easier to turn around and blame the people like us who are not prepared to stand by and let our lives, and more importantly, the lives of our children be affected because people need to realize this. This is not a one or two year thing. This is this is a plan. Well, in my opinion, it's a plan that's going to affect our children's lives and future generations unless something happens exactly. today. I think, uh, was it last week, Anthea Turner posted up the, it was like the cartoon picture. Yeah. And the cartoon picture is probably a wee bit distasteful because it's a heavy woman, but she's in a wheelchair. I don't like the way they sort of drag down people with disabilities, but by the by, uh, the message is that the, the, the big lady's telling the, the, the fit person in the photograph uh, to wear a mask to look after her health. Anyway, Piers Morgan had, uh, obviously he was in this council culture thing and started uh, slating her. But the, 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 this is the thing I wanted to chat about as well. Like, we've, we've everybody seems to have short memories. Like, people like Dolores Cahill, who before last year was one of the most celebrated microbiologists in Europe, Everybody now thinks she's a quack, and they're right listening wing. to someone like that's 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 the latest one. You're right wing. Morgan, Piers Morgan. Everybody knows his history as well, but now he's been like, he's like a COVID savior. It post it put on a sweater last night that nobody should be able to travel again unless they get the vaccine. I see. He's like he's all he's all he's now this COVID champion. Piers Morgan's was one of was one of the most awful men in the media in the UK, and I don't need to drag up his history. Everybody knows his history. Or if you don't know it, look it up on Google. So like all of a sudden, Piers Morgan, who was here, is so way up here. And Dolores Cahill, who was a well-respected lady, she's way down there in the gutter. It's just not, it's not fair the way the media can make or break you over your views on the pandemic. Can you see that a time coming soon where the media will be held responsible for the lies? No, not at all. Because, no. not at all. I mean, a lot of, like, if you look back at the weapons of mass destruction uh, with Tony Blair and Iraq, sure, it was the media that peddled all that. 
But do you Nothing. think that, do you think society there's do you think there's a lot of people shall we say woke up to the fact that that the media's yeah. land more? Do you think there's more people are starting to realize that everything being told is a lie? And because it's affecting so many of us, and we're watching so many of our lives being destroyed or are hindered in some way, that there may be a come a time where the media might actually have to shut their mouths and tell the truth? I, well, the, the media, are li- not everything the media says, I guess, is lies. There's like, there is, but everything has an agenda. I think that's important to know. Everything has an agenda. You're not, you're not watching something on the news, generally, without there being a reason for you watching it. It's as simple as that. And that's why, and just on that same note, that's why so many things are getting cancelled and censored as well, because they're the things that you're not supposed to see. Like, uh, this, this whole thing about fact-checking and censoring people, this only started after the pandemic. I never saw a fact check in my life before the pandemic started. Never seen anything fact checked. But now everything gets fact checked. That's against the media narrative. And it's the same with things getting censored, like YouTube pulling videos off. Like even, I've told you before, I know like that you might be a wee bit more pro-Trump than me. I, I don't really like Donald Trump. I don't like but him. Twitter, when he was the president. You know, Let me interrupt. I do not, I do not I, support Trump. I, I just think he's a better version than Biden. I think Biden is a fucking pedophile creep and there's no way I'd want that man. Yeah, in I'm, yeah I'm not a Trump fan at all. But uh, uh, at the same time, he's the president of the United States. He shouldn't have been completely censored off a social media platform. There's so, that just shows you that the power, the, the world power lies now in big tech. It doesn't lie with, people have this misconception that democracy says that uh, the power lies with the people that you elect, and it's fair. The power lies with the people who dictate the narrative. And the people that dictate the narrative is way above government level. So people that run big tech and the people that run big pharma. And there's, there's no shame. Uh, like, I will sit, I'm not a virologist, but I'll argue that there with anyone that wants to argue with me, and we'll go through it. Big tech and big pharma rule the agenda, not the politicians that we vote for. 100%. 100%. I think another one that's happened um, this year, and especially with me and a lot of my friends, I've, I laugh at it, is the, um, the, your far right, your right wing. If you say anything that's against the current narrative, then you're right wing for some reason. Like, yeah. logically, I don't like Trump. I don't think, I think when you're, when you're best, of, the best you can offer a country is Biden and Trump, you're in trouble as it is. But there's no doubt in my mind, if I was an American, I would want Trump because he'd done exactly what anyone would want their leaders to do. He improved their, their economy. He got them out of wars. He created peace. He'd done things that you would want any world leader in a functioning, well-functioning society to do. And we knew what Biden was going to bring. Biden's going to bring more wars. He's going to bring more cancel culture because he's done it with uh, Obama for years. So I'm like, I'm democratic socialist. <laughs> if anything, I believe if you're, sorry, mate. Yeah, I would have, I would have called myself a socialist minded as well. Like I've, all, like I've always had socialist views. Um, but that's the changed. narrative has decided that I'm, that's decided that I'm right wing. Which I, I'm not really, I'm not comfortable with being, I'm, I'm not, I'm not extreme right uh, at all. Uh, I've never, I've never been like that, but. It just seems that because I have a certain view on uh, the response to the pandemic that I've been thrown in that bracket, but hey, listen, there, there's nothing you can do about it, really. Like. But I think, like, real, realistically, if we want a society to function the way a society should function, then those who earn a lot of money should, by, by default, pay a lot more tax. If taxes are going to happen, and those taxes need to be fu- fu- uh, funneled in to the things in society we need, healthcare, education, looking after the elderly all the things that we need to happen but aren't because they're being sold off and they're being privatized and then we're getting paid like the nhs the nhs is not overrun it's underfunded yeah. like that let's 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 call it being paid the government here now being held as saviors somehow they're the reason why we're in this um, position and if you maybe i am a conspiracy theorist more than most but i would say like this has been planned and for the last 10 years, they've been cutting the NHS in preparation for something like this to happen. Because now it's a, it gives us a perfect agenda to, to implement these laws that need to happen. Because if they, if they were properly funded NHS, we wouldn't be worrying about the overrun. We'd be, and, and why are we paying nurses and of agencies triple the amount a normal nurse gets? How can we afford that? If, we, if we're struggling for staff, why not just employ more staff? Why give it out to an agency who's charging triple the amount a nurse gets paid. Like I know friends well, who are nurses, and they are they went to agency staff because they have to they work two or three days and they get the equivalent of a week's work on an NHS nurse's wage. It just doesn't make uh, sense to me. Again, like there there will be people who watch this that that 
have a completely different view on things like the pandemic and stuff like that. But I would want a person with a steadfast view on the narrative to answer this for me. The PCR test is a waste of time, okay? Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. Lateral flow test should have been the way that, that this should have been run from the start. Um, they used lateral flow testing in, in the first week of mass testing in Liverpool. Nobody was testing positive. And they changed it for PCR and then it shot up through the roof. The government has spent £100 billion on PCR testing. Why could that £100 billion not be put into combating uh, the virus at any level? Why could that not have been done? That could have been done. It could have been done to staff, and we could be out of this by now if the if the NHS had that money to tackle the virus. But it was put towards faulty testing, and that's faulty testing on the government's own admission. The, the ministers have said it right the way through the summer about the false positives and stuff like that. And I see people commenting under some of your posts talking about positivity rates and bullshit <laughs> like that. We both are. Uh, and we're not scientists. We're not virologists. Well, we keep getting told that the PCR test is useless at diagnosing illness over 35 as a threshold, a cycle threshold of 35. We know what it's being run at. So the tests are meaningless. And I'm sure that there's people, obviously there's people who are very sick that are testing positive, but there's so many more people that are just numbers to be added to cases to fuel a narrative. Like that's not, I don't think that I'm being overly controversial in saying that. Because I can cite government ministers that have said that over the summertime about the, you know, the false positives and even the cycle threshold. And I can show videos of Dr. Fauci talking about cycle thresholds as well. They're probably, they'll probably be taken off the internet in the next few months, but they're there. Yeah, like I know, I know this video goes up on YouTube. It's going to be down within three days and I'll probably get a strike. <laughs> but it's, it's it's, it's crazy that we're in a, in a position in society in 2021, we're meant to be the most advanced we've ever been in our world, that we can't allow people to have their own opinion. This only happened in 2020. Like, like, like why, why, why were flat earthers, flat earthers, crazy? The earth's flat, everything else is around, but the earth's flat. They have been allowed to have their opinions for years. Now it's not allowed to have it because it's, it's, it's not true. It's not factually true. We've come to this point where it is becoming like a digital Hitler burning the books. It, it, it's, yeah. it's literally, a, it's it's like the Nazis burning the books. Where if whatever you say, if it doesn't in the history they want us to remember, it's not going to be allowed to stay. Yeah. The thing about the pigeonholing of it as well is that uh, any any uh, form of critical thinking over the narrative associated with the pandemic, if you have any form of critical thinking. You're put in like you're a flat earther as well. If you're part of all the same conspiracy theory pigeonhole, so like, and it's the same thing as the far right. You're almost like a KKK uh, flat earther just because you might think there's something up with these PCR tests. You're banged into that box straight away, and like you're you're shut away in your council. That's that's absolutely scary, Paul. That, that that's happening, and surely people can see that. And surely people can see the fact that so many people are losing their jobs, losing their livelihoods, losing their lives. But yet, the the top one percent have made how many hundreds of billions in this last year? Yeah. That alone makes you a question: like, why why are these people not being allowed to make so much money? Why are people why are like like Costa allowed to open up, but smaller cafes aren't? Do you know, it, it there's so many. Here's the reality, and my, and I've said this numerous times. The stats said, whether it's true or not, I don't know, I could be wrong on this, but the stats that I read said that supermarkets and secondary schools and primary schools were the three biggest spreaders of COVID. Why were they allowed to stay open for so long? When the reality is, we furloughed how many hundreds of billions have we spent on furlough? It could have been very easy for them to go, okay, supermarkets closed. The government are going to fund, help the big supermarkets fund to get more um, vans on the road. We'll need more people to work the back end of the internet. So you're going to create employment. The food will be delivered. Schools will be closed. And instead of having the schools open, what we'll do is we'll ensure that every school, every house with a school age child will have access to the internet and access to the computer. We'll do online learning and we'll close the, we'll close the places that are spreading the biggest, the biggest cause of spreading down and prevent that happening. That could have been easily done with the amount of money being spent, but it wasn't. Instead, what happened was we let, let the big conglomerates stay open and we'll close all the small businesses, the ones that are going to struggle, the ones that, and then, we're, then all of a sudden those people were creating... We're creating an environment of stress. And I don't think people give enough credit to 
how stressful our world is and what stress does. And it doesn't have to be massive stress. Remember, we evolved as a species to like to, ha to have acute stress. There's a saber-toothed tiger chasing this. Run like fuck. Get up a tree. Once it goes, we're back to normal. Now we've got this like chronic stress where everything is just keeping us in a stressful state. It's suppressing the immune system. A suppressed immune system means we're e easily open to a lot more infections. And what's the killing us right now? An invisible enemy called COVID. They can make up any lie they want. They can tell us anything they want and we can't prove it because it's invisible. There's a new strain. Yeah. Every, every week there's a new strain coming out. What about the Limavati strain? How's that coping? Uh, uh, on the, I'm not prepared to say that, that COVID's right because I don't know. I don't know for sure. What I do oh, know is that I'm sure my opinion doesn't add up. Like the the all cause mortality rates in comparison to me, but there but I don't think that anybody can argue that some deaths have been redesignated COVID. I don't think that anybody can argue that. Like I don't I don't think that the, the truest COVID supporter uh, or narrative supporter could argue that at least some deaths have been redesignated. And I want to know why that's happening. Like that's what I want to know. Your friend uh Andy McKenzie made a brilliant point a few months ago. I put a post up. If this was a real pandemic, the response should be all, all uh, rates, rent, payments, all your uh, standing orders are all frozen completely for two months. Okay. Everybody's put on uh, like food supplies. Everybody's wages stop. That's including politicians. Uh, everybody gets a flat base rate. Your the, the the your essential workers aren't people that, that work in certain types of shops. Your frozen army, your limavari internet isn't working. So workers that aren't essential workers, and everybody gets the same uh, sort of uh, flat rate pay. Everybody gets everything cut exactly the same. Everybody's treated exactly the same. That just wouldn't happen because there's too many people making too much money out of this. This is that's the problem. problem. I don't think, I think it's, it's not people's fault. I think we, we live in a society where we've been trained that we need safety. We want safety. Everything's fearful. Terrorism, there's obesity, there's disease, there's unemployment. It's stressful and it's fearful. And we've been conditioned to just be willing, for most of us, most of them, they're willing to give up freedom for this semblance of safety. And, and it, it, they're used, the governments and the, the, the media are using that to their advantage to push this story continually. And people are living in fear. Like, I can't believe we're living in, a, in an environment or a society where people are willing to believe the government who have been proven the lies all the time and phone the police on their own neighbours. It just shows you where we're at society. But we don't actually have a community base. And as, as humans, that is one of the most important things we need. We, 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 we evolved in a tribal society. We've lost the community. It's come to the point where the only community we've got is found within our four walls, the nucleus family. It used to be your village was your family. If you went, if you disappeared traveling, everyone knew you were gone. And when you came back, everyone welcomed you and you had this sense of belonging. And I think right now, because we have that, we need to live in this belonging environment because that's who we are, we're humans. When, when it's been removed, we're scared, we're fearful. It goes back to that predatory idea. You can't sleep because the lions might kill you. We're so stressed that we, we're, we're living in permanent stress, permanent fear. And we're quick to fight, we're quick to judge, quick to fight. Like I am, anyone who knows me knows that I just, I speak my mind and fuck it. Now Arlene Foster and Michelle O'Neill already know that. And they, you know, we need, we need to just get to a point where we love each other, where we can forgive, but we're being conditioned to fear that. You know, the, the words yeah. love is, is frightening now. It's like people are laughing at you for that. It's insane. For every day in the last 10 or 11 months, for every day, if you watch the news, you're being told as soon as the news starts how many people have died with COVID. Like that, that's being put into your head every single day. Death, 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 death. It's no wonder people are scared, man. I actually pointed out um, CNN were doing that every day until the day Biden got inaugurated. And the day Biden got into power, was the day CNN stopped putting up the daily death count. Ah, but you know what's going up now every day? The numbers of people that have been vaccinated. Because they want so them. So many vaccinated by today. Because they Any, anybody, anybody, who think, anybody who doesn't think that this is in some way a huge big pharma agenda, they need to start thinking about things differently. You add up the dots and you just get frustrated because you know that it's not, that it's not all that you're being told it is. And it's frustrating, man, because... 
uh, you're literally like you're literally putting your reputation on the line with some people. Do you know what I mean? And, and like I, I live in a small, small enough place, so do you. Um, and like when you're running a business, people's opinions matter because yeah. uh, it doesn't matter how good a service you provide. Um, we live in like quite a fickle world where people attach themselves to other people's views, and, and it, it can get it can get very difficult for you uh, straight away. So it's hard to to put yourself out there and stand up and talk and say a lot of the things that you know that other people think but they're not saying it. And I've had people say to me, Paul, do uh, I don't know how you, you say that stuff online? Like people people would agree with you, but they don't they don't put themselves out there. That gives me hope that that people like there's more people that know that there's something else going on. Uh, but they're not talking about it because sooner or later, man, people will get pissed off. I agree. Like, I, I'd be one of the slightly more outspoken people in the sense that I don't fear what I'm saying. And here, I know it's costing me probably some of it, some customers, customers and everything. But to me, this is more important than a business. It's more important than, than you know, offending a few people. The reality is, it's our children are going to be affected. Our lives are being affected, but I'm 43. I'll be lucky to have another 40, 50 years in this world. And 40 years goes in very quickly, as I've discovered. But my kids, they're seven and three and four, just turned four. So they're here for the long haul, hopefully. And it's, it's the world we're leaving them. And that's why I'm sort of going, you know, fuck anyone's opinion. I don't really care because I'm seeing what you're saying when I'm seeing two different things. And the way you're just screaming about COVID and the, the, the things have to be adhered to. I am seeing your adherence as one step closer to complete control by government, a communist state, a fascist state, whatever way you want to think about it. That's what I'm seeing coming because all they need to do is create uh, some sort of like emergency and then they have to, then they've got powers to implement. And it's very easy to create an emergency as we've seen. Like in March, like we talk about this in March last year, April, this time, February last year, we were seeing people in China on the ground, being carried away, carried away dead with masks on them. That's what we were expecting. We were expecting a yeah. pandemic of that level. It's definitely uh, like uh, I'm saying, like uh, the fascist, communist thing. Fascism is very much associated with like national pride, nationalism. You can sort of see uh, like regimes that have been linked with uh, linked with fascism before, very nationalist minded. It's I would say communist, globalist. There's like a, there is a globalist agenda. That's why things like the uh, attention directed towards things like the World Economic Forum and things like that, there, there, there is shakes and moves being made. There's no doubt about it. Whether or not, whether or not the, the virus maybe pushed that on faster or maybe uh, there's more to it, I don't know. I'm, I'm open to everything, but, and this is what annoys me, like I'm not, I'm not completely closed-minded about it. I'm open, I'm open to hear, hearing, th- hearing different things uh, and making my own mind up. What, what I'm seeing in my head now is that the, the level of attention towards the tackling the virus is nowhere near the level of threat that's actually uh, a reality because of it. And that's why that's how I'm making my decisions. The way, what did you say there, the level of, uh, of effort? The level, level of media response and government response to the virus is nowhere near proportional to the level of threat that the virus provides. That's how I see it. I would say that the level it's been promoted at compared yeah. to trying to tackle it is different. You know, if we put the effort, if we put the same effort into tackling it as we do, as they do into promoting it and creating that fear, there would be no pandemic anymore. Yeah. It just, it just I, wouldn't happen. Chat about it earlier, 100, 100 billion pounds on faulty tests. 100 billion pounds is something like 85% of the national budget for the NHS. That's wages and everything. 85%. 85% of the annual budget on, on the full running of the NHS was directed towards PCR tests. What I can't understand is the amount of Nightingale hospitals that were created to, to cope with this demand, and yet none of them, none of them were actually seeing any, any, any patients. What was Sorry? It? I said the amount of uh, Nightingale hospitals that were erected to deal with the overflow of COVID yet none of them are used yeah. i don't understand that at all like 20 i think london had like a 21 million pound nightingale hospital that never seen one patient yeah well you see the, the the narrative rationale behind that is that there wasn't the staff to staff hospitals to close again but in northern ireland they brought in army medics uh to ease pressures on the nhs because so many of the nhs were off on isolating on positive tests so 
it, why would that rationale not be used to staff medical hospitals? Because the military in the UK is pretty big. Yeah. And there's a lot of arguments. So, I mean, that, that's a bit of a dull argument. It doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. The thing is, what I notice about you, Andy, is you're, you're very, um, shall we say, on the fence, but not in an offensive way. You're, you're, you want facts. You, you're, you're a questioner. And that's good. I, I love your attitude towards it. I'm just like, I speak my mind. And a lot of times I'm wrong, but I don't care. I speak from an emotional point. A lot of times I accept that. You're very rational in your thought process. And you're very on the fence. You don't you you try to take everyone's side, yeah, everyone's opinion to, into into your thought process, and then come up with your own opinion. Why are people like yourself being ostracized for doing such? I don't I don't understand it. Why someone who's who just questions people, which is what you should be doing, should be allowed to ask questions freely. Why you're being made out to be like this crazy conspiracy yeah. theorist? Well, the programming's so good, that's fine. The, the media programming's so good. Like this, it's been programmed to think that anything you do outside the the regulations is putting people's grannies at risk. And that, that is what the people were saying before Christmas. Like Tom Black had been saying that before Christmas. I remember uh, listening to uh, Stephen Nolan and it was like on the mouth of Christmas, ask a question, how many people are you going to kill this Christmas? He like, that's, that, that, that's the... Well... <laughs> No, he's uh, an absolute bastard because he is he is creating more problems, more fear, and more division than anyone could ever hope for. Because the 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 evilness and the vileness coming from his mouth is insane. And it's just creating division in an already divided society. Remember, we live in a society that could quite easily go back to old ways. It, it wouldn't be that hard to do. And he yeah. is just creating that division. Well, what 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 I see is that something like that. Saying that is very irresponsible for somebody who gets paid by the public. He works for the BBC, so he's getting paid. It's sort of money that's paying his wage. Um, it's just a very irresponsible thing to say. I don't want him to catch COVID. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely don't care about him. I, 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 he's, he disgusts me. I, I, I won't hold back. I'd, fuck it. I really won't hold back. He disgusts me. He's, he's a, he's a, he's a, and you know what? Well, here, I'll say, I'll say something worse. You know why he's like that? Because he's so fat. He is terrified of losing his own life. And he thinks that he, everyone should be respecting him and doing what he wants. If he lost his weight, if he lost the weight, and he's been an internal battle, I've known my friend P.T. him, and it was a nightmare. Oh, I, I oh, can't stand him. But if he lost the weight, he would not be the way he is. He's living in a world of fear because he knows that everything he's done in his life has led to the point where he is a candidate to be killed from this virus. And that, that's it's fear from narrative. And if well, he, uh, I don't know that because I haven't spoken to him, so I don't, I don't know what is. If that's right, like what what the stats would say. That's is my that that's my opinion. I, I would say that's risk. my opinion. Um, what what I would say about Stephen Nolan is that he thrives on polarization, and I, I, before COVID, it was like very sectarian. Like he loves it. He loves he, he his his listeners, uh, his his viewing uh, stats and whatever thrive on uh, sort of like Jeremy Kyle, man. He, like he he took, takes advantage of vulnerable people for uh, his own gain. And like, I, I don't mind saying that. I don't think that that's overly controversial. He's very, he uh, thrives on polarization. Um, and in a country like Northern Ireland, it's not uh, conducive to good relations at all. And that's the thing. If you notice everything, everything in society, we're we're being brought down a path of division, continuous division. And like everything we've ever, everything that happens in this, yeah. this thing is about dividing society. You know, the masks, Masks weren't needed. In fact, we were told masks weren't going to be needed at all because they were pointless. Now they are. Now they are because the fear narrative was was waning. People weren't as scared, so you needed that visual representation to wear the mask. There's no studies to show that masks work. There's lots and lots of theories, but there's as many theories, as many points saying the masks don't work as is, say do. But yet it's only the ones that do that work that are that are publicised, and the ones that say they don't work, they're hidden, and no one gets to read them, no one gets to see them. And I think then you've got the social distancing. Well, the, the, the thing that annoys me about the masks, Paul, is that people will people support the narrative will come back and say, well, this is new science in relation to uh, a new virus. But like, there's been studies in the viral transmission of coronaviruses for 50 years. So it's not new. It's a new strain of a virus that's been around for decades. So like coming and saying that, you know, it's new science coming out is just complete nonsense. Uh, there's been there's been coronaviruses in the in the air for a lot longer than I've been alive. And longer than that as well, um, longer than that they've been reported. Like there's there's 
uh, science that suggests that the Spanish flu was a, an early form of coronavirus. But there's there's no like uh, proof or anything on that, but it's a theory. Just the same as the theory on masks are useful and social distancing are useful. It's all theory. Did Fauci not say that the yep. Spanish flu, that it was like the mask wearing caused most of the deaths in the Spanish flu? Or am I mistaken about that? Sure, I'm not sure about that. What, what Fauci did say early on in the pandemic was that uh, that general wearing of masks wasn't going to be useful against the virus. So, uh, uh, he went on record saying that. So did Witty, David Witty, he also said the same thing, that masks were pointless? Yep, that's right, early on. But again, the, the, the media or the official narrative on that is that they wanted to prioritise masks for NHS workers. I'm just giving you what... Yeah. Uh, just by saying, saying that, that, by saying that, what they're basically saying is like, your life wasn't as important then as it is now. We didn't curfew died. We wanted to save the NHS, so we didn't curfew died because we lied to you just to stop you wearing masks. That's the other. That's the other side of the coin. Then again, their argument would be that you know, if NHS workers were all dead, uh, nobody would be able to treat anybody. Mm. You know, I'm just giving you. I'm just. Oh, yes, I get you. I get you, mate. I know what they're saying. I know what they're saying. I just think it seems to be that like this one fo this focus on just this one point and forgetting about the rest of society and all the other things that function society needs. Is is creating more problems than than we realize, and because it's not being reported, no one knows about it. Like you, you were talking earlier on about your kid, your five year old, who's going nuts. Same here. We've got me, me and my partner. We've got uh, two kids each, and we're lucky in that three of the girls are like Sive and Lucia are exactly one day apart with age, and then Evelyn, my one, she's four, so she hangs about. But Rory, the, the nine year old wee boy, he's lost. He spent he spends all his time on the Xbox now just to communicate with his friends, just to have some sort of socialization with his friends. But that alone isn't good. That's not good either because being on the internet all day, on the Xbox all day, is it's creating like it's creating a problem in itself. And we're going to see yeah. this in the next two years. I'd say you're going to see a lot of proper depression, yeah. a lot of proper things happening in young children that shouldn't be yeah. happening. We're meant to be out exploring, we're meant to be out playing, we're meant to be out socializing. Play is one of the most important aspects of, of childhood. And we're being deprived of it. And listen, we're right, I we're what into February, it's midterm, another three, six, another six weeks, and it's it's Easter. Then you've got another three months, you've got it with summer. So that's another yeah. year of schooling they've missed already. I know you're hundred percent right. Like, going back to like NHS workers and stuff like that. Uh, it's just in my head as you were talking about about the, uh, about your kids and you're right about your kids both men are in the band um and it's just not fair because they can't get our full attention all the time as well and my wife's yeah. a teacher she's like she's working all day um i feel sorry for them but i think and again this this overviews the virus as well a wee bit is that the interpretation in the media of the virus has been very emotional or qualitative like they talk about uh it's very emotionally driven my, like my going through university, everything I did was very quantitative. So it was all statistical. I, st statistics would have been what um, I would have looked at and determined. What was it you did as a university? I did my undergraduate in politics and then my master's in social policy. So two very quantitative like uh, okay. uh, degrees. NHS workers dying to COVID. Like we had been told in the news that so many NHS workers had died with COVID in the last year. What, what I want to know is, and like I can't find this information, I want to know how many NHS workers have died of all-cause mortality in the last year and compare that to last year before that and the five years before that. And then we can get an idea of uh, how serious it is, like, like looking at it comparatively. I think last um, June there'd been a report put out that caused a lot of uh, fear and it was the London, uh, it was London bus drivers, something like 26 London bus drivers had died with COVID. Um, but if you look at that more deeply, there's something like, 43,000 people employed in, in the London uh, as London bus drivers and it's somewhere between 20 and 30 die per year anyway and have done so you like what I'm saying is it's very easy to manipulate statistics to drag the narrative um say 30 NHS workers died in Northern Ireland last year uh, with COVID how many died in 2019 uh who were NHS workers all cause and compare that to how many died in 2020 and then you'll start to understand if there's been any redesignation of deaths it's important to do that, and it's really hard, Paul, to get those statistics to compare. Also, really hard. I would think you'd also have to consider also about the bus drivers. Is it's a sedentary job? How many yeah. of those guys? How many of those men are healthy? How many of them underline health problems? How many of them are obese or overweight? Do you know, there's there's factors that need to be considered, and they just can't. But the media don't do that. The media just highlight the 
the the the the, the, like the headlines just to create the fear and that's the problem and we all we've been conditioned for so long just to clickbait that this is what we do now you know we don't even question we just see the news put the headline and then associate that with what we want to believe yeah and like care, care homes is a big one paul um so many people have died in care homes of COVID 19 this year like i don't mean to be very brash but care homes is a place where people die all the time this is where this is the problem why can we not have rational conversation like that like you go into a care home yep. you're probably coming the last five years of your life shall we say that's a good estimate you're probably going to last about five years in a care home and then that's it but again I, what i would be looking at in care homes is i would be looking at how many people died of COVID 19 last year um, how many people died in total in care homes and then start comparing it to previous years and see if there's much of a difference. And I, look, I'm not saying I'm not saying there's there's not a difference or there is a difference, but I would like to see it. And the stats are really hard to get. Was there not uh, an argument as well that the government pushed those with COVID into the care homes, back into the care homes and reinfected a lot of those people? That did happen in the first wave. That's not, I mean, that's not a conspiracy at all. But uh, well, here, you'd be surprised because when I say that, I'm, I'm, I'm laughed at and I'm told to wise up. I, I but it's in the, that that's in the media. But that, that did happen. Um, the people that were taken to hospital and then were sent back to the care homes uh, with, and, and and this is why I'm not prepared to say that the whole thing's a hoax because there is a period of time last year at the end of March, beginning of April, where there was a spike and and, and that spike did reflect the all-cause mortality from the same period. Hold on a second. Would that not be, would it not be able to argument, would you not be able to argue, sorry, that that was because the virus was new and no one had built up the immunity for this and obviously those sick and vulnerable are going to get there. But it's like being a normal coronavirus, like a flu every year, like a cold every year. You get the cold because it's a new form of cold, and then you get the immune system back up, and it's you get the antibodies. So that was obviously going to happen. The government have to be holding themselves responsible because they pushed the sick and el- the sick into care homes where there was more sick and vulnerable elderly people. There was there was um, the Nightingale hospitals. Why were they not put in the Nightingale hospitals where they could have been contained until the COVID vaccine or, uh, virus had passed? There's all so many questions that just people are not answering. And people, are, when I ask them, I'm laughed at. To me, that was, to me, that's a, it's mass murder. <laughs> the government are guilty of murder. People will argue on the Nightingale hospitals, again, just what I was saying earlier, they'll argue that it was not a problem with the hospital beds. The problem was resourcing and staffing the hospitals. But that, that, that argument doesn't stand for me because if army medics are able to pull them now, there's no reason why they could have been pulled in. This was a serious pandemic, or as serious as we're told, where millions and millions are being spent on Nightingale hospitals to, to bring beds in. Then it's just common sense that, that the army medics would have been brought in back then. I don't know why that. I, part the Nightingale hospitals in the first wave, part of that is telling me that it's a public relations exercise to put fear in the people. That, that's what I honestly believe. Yeah, and here you're coming from a point where you've got a, a valid. A valid reason to think this. You were in the industry in journalism for 12 years. You know how it works. You know the inside scoops of how things work. I remember, I remember reading an article in the, I think it might be the Guardian or the Express, and it was mid-March, and it was they had run an exclusive story on a on a morgue, a mortuary, a makeshift mortuary that was uh, created uh, right beside the Nightingale Hospital in London that was the size of three football fields. <laughs> like... How can that not scare people? Let's go local. Donald Ice Bowl was being turned into a morgue. Me except morgue member in, in March. They were going to turn to, because they were expecting 12,000. I remember, funnily enough, I remember when it first happened, when the gyms were all closed, there's an old guy walks up and down our street. And I remember looking at him and he is just messed up. Like this guy, he's on his last legs. And I looked at him and I was thinking, he's probably gone. He's, he's going to be one of the victims. And then I was thinking, what about mum and dad? Are mum and dad going to be gone? And then I, all the, this fear, it, it, it scared me. Like I was going to Gale, what are we going to do here? Like, fuck, is, am I going to die? I'm 43. Jesus Christ, I'm getting to that point where maybe it is going to affect me. And I can remember having a serious point of fear. That's why I got so angry, I think. And that's why I got so fucked off and so pissed off that I spoke out so much and so firmly about it. Because they have created fear and they did put fear into me. And I am the type of guy that can handle that shit, but it scared me. So what's it going to be like to someone who's a lot weaker minded than me and is is conditioned by the media, conditioned by the TV? The, the, yeah. the, the most vulnerable are the elderly. The elderly are terrified. They're being forced to live alone, lonely, die alone because of a narrative that's been pushed for the last year. 
how can you protect how can you say you're protecting the elderly if you're forcing to live alone without family without love without communication without hugs and kisses from the grandchildren that is what elderly people live for you're completely right and i was the same paul at the very start i mean i had seen all those same photographs too that people lying dead in the streets of wuhan and like just on that the average age of death of this virus worldwide is 83. This was young men lying dead in the streets in Wuhan. Yeah. Young men lying dead in the streets with their masks on. A mask on, exactly. Yeah. And the fumigation, the big videos of the fumigation happening, this industrial fumigating machines just pumping this white gas all over the streets. Yeah. It, it's insane, mate. I don't know why. I don't know. What do you think then? Let's finish off with this. What do you think is going to happen? Let's go 12 months down the line. What, what's going to be happening? Well, there's definitely a potential that the narrative could go along with new, new strains for vaccinations. I, I've always said from the start that I am very weary of uh, profit in the health industry. I've always been wary of that. Same with things like my, my mother and sister both had cancer and I've looked into this stuff for years. And I'm not happy that, that people can profit from healthcare. So for me, there's very real opportunity for big pharma who uh, have a lot of control in the world. They push the narrative that we need immunized, I don't know, two times a year. So it could be that we're put into lockdowns now for God knows how long uh, to push new vaccines. Maybe that's complete tinfoil hattery. I don't know. Um, but it makes as much sense as anything I've heard in the news. I, I was watching a doc, I was a, a quick YouTube video of a barrister who was saying that it's impossible they can, they can make us have a vaccine. They can't mandatory make us have vaccine. But the, the actions are taken to prevent us, to make it more appealing. If you want to live a normal life, you must get the vaccine. That alone is criminal. It's, it's like going back to the Catholic Protestant of the 60s days or the 60s in America, black and white. You're either now, you're, if you're not obeying what we want, then you're not a functioning member of society. You're a danger. Therefore, you can't do what you want to do. And the only way you can do it is by obeying our law. That is totalitarian state, in my opinion. That's like communism. That's whatever you want to call it. I know you said fascism, fascism is, is a, about national identity, but I'm talking about just the simple control of the people. The well, way there's, they... there's, there's definitely elements of fascism that you could tie in with a very, like censorship's a big part of fascism. Yeah. Um, censorship's rife at the moment. But I, I, would, I would think it more to extreme communism. Like, uh, how, how I see the potential for the world in 10 years is how China is now. When you look at the ties of China and America and, and the control China has in America and the world economy now, the, the amount of like infrastructure they own and the amount of land they're buying up in America, to me, and then the, if you want to go real conspiracy level, the amount of links between the government in America and China, it's frightening. It seems to be that that's exactly what's coming. The, the, social, the social scoring systems and... The, the, the having the, the cameras everywhere, knowing your exact move, your every move, the fear of speak. I can, you can already see it. It's diluted down now, but speaking out against the government is being, you're being organized for it. How long before that becomes, you're taken away for it, the way that happens in China? I think people need to wake up to it. I uh, definitely, um, like again, it's probably, it's probably an extreme view, but China is one of the most officially run countries in the world. And leaders don't really care about uh, leaders don't really care about the people. They don't care about the masses. People need but, efficient, but uh, monetary efficiency is a big pulling power for people at the top. And the people at the top are the people that are calling the shots. Paul, yeah. simple as that. It's frightening. Well, Andy, we'll leave it there, mate. I know you've got to go. That was a great chat, mate. And, uh, well, hopefully we'll get I'll get that ended up. That sort of we technical glitch we got, and we'll get the conversation going. That was brilliant, mate. I really enjoyed that, and maybe do it again. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Okay, mate. Thank you very much, buddy. Speak to you soon.